Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 418. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hi. Hello. This week on the show, we'll be reviewing Pablo Lorraine's Emma. We'll also be going over some of what we've been watching on the watch list and going over this week's new releases in theaters and on VOD and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes if you get a moment. That would be super helpful. We have this month's Saved by the 90s locked down. We're going to be recording it next week. So stay tuned for that. I can tell you right now we're going to be doing some some thrillers. And I am pretty excited about the lineup. So, all right, let's uh, take a look at Emma. I have a synopsis here. A couple deals with the aftermath of an adoption that goes awry as their household falls apart. We do have a review for this up on the site. Amanda wrote a review for us. We'll start with you, Kevin. What were your initial impressions of Emma? Uh, early on, this is uh, visually very striking, especially with that opening shot. I was like, okay, I'm on board. Uh, the Nicholas Jar uh, soundtrack, I think, is without a doubt the high point. 100% this. agree. That was I know, one, of the, one of the only yeah. notes I wrote about it here was have to talk about the soundtrack because it was 100% the best part for me. Yeah, if you're a Nicholas Jar fan, oh my goodness. Oh my god. Yeah. So and I think I don't think you can I don't think anyone can argue with that. That is without a doubt the best aspect of this movie. I think it's one of the best soundtracks of the year to be honest with you. Like one of oh, the best definitely. one of the best I've heard this year. So, I mean, you have and that it, that seemed to be featured prominently in the beginning. You know what I mean? And it seemed like it kind of trailed off a little bit once the 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 narrative kicked in or whatever. So I think early on, I was really on board with this. You had the striking visuals, you had the soundtrack that's thumping, and I'm just like, I, you know, there's a flamethrower involved. Like, mm-hmm. this is, this is kind of working for me. And then some of that kind of dissipated, and we got more into the narrative thing here. And the, it's just the overall story of this it didn't did not work for me at all. This is just... This is hollow as hell. It's just empty. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And man, it really, it really started getting on my nerves. Yeah. Uh, right there with you. I was, I, I didn't know anything about this movie going into it. Like I, I didn't see Thanks. a trailer. I didn't read a synopsis. I didn't know anything. So, uh, so, so I really wasn't sure what to expect. And like you, that opening, like, 10, 15 minutes, I'm like, okay, all right. I mean, I'm not really into, like, the interpretive, like, modern dance type stuff, but, you know, that soundtrack is really bumping. I love the, like, giant sun flame background stuff. I love the flamethrower thing, and I think that the music was that was accompanying it, like, just really complimented it because... It's it's something. It it definitely says something when I can be watching like an interpretive dance routine and be like into it. And I think that that is a hundred percent due to the music and that really striking background that they were um, that they were dancing in front of. And like you, once the narrative beats start to hit, it really just completely lost me, and I felt very similar to you where 
it all seemed incredibly hollow. I could not connect to anyone in this movie whatsoever. It felt it it felt so everything felt so forced to me like the conversations oh yeah were they were not they first of all they were not natural which is not not necessarily a problem but but they're they're overwritten yeah everything is the issue everything was so overwritten and everybody was like so brutally honest in this movie (laughs) that it was like it almost seemed completely unbelievable to me that that all of these characters would be this brutally honest with each other and at first i was like oh maybe it's a cultural thing maybe they're just like that's just how they are when they're like this very like upfront about speaking their mind but the longer it went on the more i was just like nah that's not (laughs) no because and i think that's the it's uh one of the issues with this movie outside of it being completely overwritten and just hot, like it's the vibes that I get from this movie is uh, a, a fucked up modern version, but not as fucked up, but in some ways just as fucked up is like, it's very Shakespearean. Mm. It feels like Titus Andronicus, mm-hmm. but not with eating people unknowingly um so i think the thing that made it difficult is that like all these people are awful yeah like they're just not good people and they're just and i don't know i'm not exactly sure the angle of this um because what essentially happens is if we can back up a minute we have emma and gaston the, the married couple that are just completely awful for each other. They're that, terrible. Yeah, that they, they hate each other. I mean that that be, that beginning scene when they're just doing the back and forth with each other. And I mean, my God, they have so much hatred for each yeah. other. Just like an intense loathing. She calls him an infertile pig. I think at one point. Yeah, like it's it's bad. It is bad. Um. So you have them, and you're kind of we're in already in the midst of this aftermath of the adoption thing, and we kind of find out that this kid that they adopted Polo is he was he was bad, you know he he was not well behaved. He's a psychopath. Yeah, pretty much. So you have a bunch of people that aren't likable, even the ones that you haven't even met yet, just by from what you're learning. And I couldn't tell with Emma's like plan like once that starts once she gets the ball rolling on this plan uh i couldn't tell if this was supposed to be like in in some way like kind of concealed or obscured but like i knew from the outset exactly what she was doing so it it was very bizarre at the end where she's like explaining it to everyone yeah it's just like yeah we know that was clearly what you were doing like yeah when she well, that, that's the funny thing is, even if you didn't know what she was doing, there's a big reveal when you when you find when you see what she's doing. And then they doubled down and then they had like this whole explanation of like her plan. But it wasn't like some kind of big master plan. Like we knew what she was doing. Even Again, even if you didn't, you then later saw 
the couple and you're just like oh okay so that was what she was planning but then they had this whole extra scene where they're like where she's like walking us through everything which was just bizarre to me which is really strange in the sense that you have a movie that's extremely overwritten and then you get to the end you're like we're just gonna really dumb it down yeah it's like that's a weird 180 turn I just, uh, I, I think that it just wasn't for me. I, I just didn't find, like, I, I liked the the musical interludes. Like, I thought that those were actually well done. But everything in between, I was just like, I'm just not that really interested in what's think, happening here. Like, this is not yeah. very compelling to me. And I think the main issue in terms of it not being compelling is just, like, I couldn't pin down thematically what it was going for. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not a hundred percent sure if like what the overall meaning or like point of the entire thing was like is, I, I don't know. I don't, I like, and after a while I'm just like, okay, there's only so many like dancing montages and flamethrower montages that I can handle. Because after a while, you're just like, okay, this is all just kind of hollow imagery. Like, yeah, I get it. The flamethrower looks cool. But, I mean, how many times are we going to do a flamethrower montage? Oh, like three or four, actually. Yeah, and then the dancing, too. I was like, the dancing's like... A lot. Of- that happens a lot. Like, the, fl- the flamethrower stuff is, is like three times, but then the, the, the dancing... I didn't count how many, but it's it's quite a quite a few. And I don't know a lot about dancing. I mean, obviously, but the, the dancing felt kind of rigid to me. Like it just, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't see it. It just seemed kind of awkward. Where it's just like, well, oh, okay. a couple of them were just like, what? Wait, what? Like when she was there was one when she was just like randomly they cut to her just outside just dancing it up for a little bit. She was completely by herself, just popping and locking and yeah. the body rolls and all that. And it was just like, okay, I guess she, this is like her getting out her frustration or something. I don't know. I don't either. But I mean, she's an awful person. Yeah. Gaston's an awful person. They're just, they're all like. Both, they, well, I should neither, say those two. Those two are just awful well, people. And that's the thing. Like, the other characters are not really developed they're not, at all. Yeah, they're, like, not, they, they're not fleshed out enough to even you can't even a yeah, judgment. There's there's no opinions to be had on the tertiary characters like all the other women in the dance troupe and like her the the sister who gets burned like there's no you can't really formulate any opinions on these people because they they're just they're they're not even they're just window dressing basically. Yeah, they're just pawns. They're pawns in the the life of Emma and Gaston. Yeah, and the same can be said about the the couple, the married, the other married couple. Yeah, I mean they're they're kind of shitty too in their own way, but no, because it it does. Now that I'm like kind of like thinking about it, it does feel like this movie is just dancing montages, flamethrower montages, like one uh, montage of sex scenes. And like that's it. Mm-hmm. And then she explains her plan at the end, where it's like, "Yeah, no, we, we knew. Yeah, we put it together." 
You don't have to explain it. Yeah. I got it. All right. Uh, that's that's really all I have to say about Emma. Not not really. Soundtrack is great, though. I'm I, getting that, son of a bitch. Oh, yeah. My phone. Yeah, for sure. I'm going to be thumping that while I'm working on some watches. Hell, yeah. Uh, all right. about wielding a flamethrower. <laughs> uh, anything else to add about Emma before we give it a score? Uh, man, no. I feel like there should be more to say about this movie, but I just, I really don't think there is. No, I mean, to be honest, like there, I thought that there would be a deeper exploration into the, the child. Like the, like they accuse each other. There's a lot of accusatory stuff, but there's never really like any kind of deep reflection into like, What's going on with this kid? Why this happened? You know, like any kind of look into that. It was all just them being like, well, you, you fucked up. You're a bad. You're a bad parent. No, you're a bad parent. You fucked up. All right, let's get a divorce. All right, let's just fuck everybody. And it's just. That was, that was really the only thing that I could like kind of think of is this like maternal angle where like she's really fucked up. And you can't tell if she's maternal or maybe she's super hyper maternal because she will literally do anything. But at at the same time, just like it's not an interesting enough exploration of that. I, d- I liked how that scene when she's at the school and they're all just like, you're a terrible person. And they were like, oh, wait, you're still going to work here after all that? <laughs> like, that was just uh, it's like, damn. I can't imagine my coworkers being that that curt with me. Uh, but maybe maybe someone needed to be. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the kid tried to burn down a house and what, killed a cat? Killed a cat, tried to murder the his aunt. Yeah. I mean, which is another it's just it's just messy in terms of its messaging. Because like when you meet the kid he seems completely fine. So, like, what? What are you trying to say that it's actually, you know, it's the, the this is like a nurturing thing. Like, is this nature versus nurture type deal? Is that what you're going for? But it seems very reductionist mm-hmm. in the way that it's going about it. Like, yeah. it, it just doesn't work in any way. Yep, I agree. All right, let's go ahead and give it a score, Kevin. What are you going to give Emma? I give Emma four. I'm sitting at a. I'm sitting at a four and a half on this one. Eh, yeah, four, four and a half, somewhere around there. Just really not for me. Uh, in our written review, uh, Amanda gave it a five and a half, I think. So she she wasn't too into it either. So all right, understandable. Yeah, this is uh, playing in theaters right now. So it's uh, check your listings if you're interested. Let's talk about someone we're watching. I think it's your turn, Kevin. I have one, which is also not a good movie, and that is to. Together, together, which is playing on Hulu, your Hulu subscription. Uh, Don't put it to use watching together, together. So I I have a question about this movie. Mm -hmm. Can, as far as like surrogacy goes, can anybody just be a, a, a surrogate? I mean, I guess, I guess they could, right? There's no like flaws or anything. Like, I guess you could just be a surrogate. Because the premise is like Ed Helms is like a, a single guy, yep. but he wants to be a dad, right? So he gets a surrogate, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then he sparks up a, a friendship 
with this. Yeah, which is one of the two aspects of this movie that works for me. Uh, This is directed by Nicole Beckwith. So the nice thing is there's never this like, oh, are they going to hook up? Are they going to get together? Like Ed Helms, like kind of, he's not necessarily like pursuing her, but he does because Patty Harrison's character a couple of times is like, ew, I'm not with him. Ew. And he starts to get offended by that. Like, what the hell? Why are we do And he's like, she's like, you know, you're 40 some years old. Like, that's just weird. Like, stop it. Yeah. But there's never that, like, because there, I was so worried throughout the movie. I'm just like, please don't go down that route. Well, I was, uh, it, yeah, I was concerned that they were going to do that as well. No, they just have, they have issues creating boundaries, essentially. They're both kind of loners. So they kind of get in that, like, this friendship develops, obviously, because she's carrying his child. And, you know, they just, they start hanging out a lot. And then, he starts thinking like, oh, man, maybe I should have set up some boundaries. Like, we're way too close. But Ed Helms, you know, is really into it because he's a 40-year-old loner. Mm-hmm. But the thing, the, the thing, two things that I really liked outside of the it never veered into romantic territory. Thank God, because that would fucking been awful. Uh, Julio Torres is in this movie doing Julio Torres things. And I like watching him do anything. <laughs> I just, he's like my favorite person. I just, it's the funniest person to me. And he's really good in this. Uh, and the only other thing is there's really, there's a scene that I've experienced this where Ed Helms is all excited about his surrogate is pregnant, played by Patty Harrison. And he goes to his brother's house and, it, you know, his brother and his sister-in-law and they have two kids and he's he's poured out wine. He's all excited to give them a noose. He's standing up. And, like, they don't really pay any attention to him. They're, like, worried about their kids. And they're just kind of like, uh-huh, yeah. And he's all excited, to, you know, giving the news, and no one's listening. Which is a really awful fucking feeling that I've experienced with, you know, people that have kids. They just, like, give you no attention whatsoever. <laughs> and it sucks. Even if it's, like, really, really bad news and they're just, like, talking to their kids while you're on the phone and it's like, okay, I'll just do this some other time, I guess. Yeah, I've noticed that, too, actually. I fucking hate it. I once called my dad with, like, terrible medical news and he was talking to his kids the whole time. I was (laughs) just like... Brutal. uh, Like, yeah, that's what I mean. You're just like, should I call back? Like... And they always give you the, no, 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 I'm listening, I'm listening. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, 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 I'm here, I'm engaging. What, what, what is that? You might die? What is it? <laughs> what did you say? Uh, all right, so that's Together Together. But, uh, other than that, this movie is just, oh, it's incredibly bland. Yeah, this but, is just, oh, boy. Oof. It, 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 looked, it looked pretty it's, pretty bland. It's bad. It's bad. I, I, the, only, the only thing that was made that made me even somewhat interested in is the Patty Harrison because I think she is so funny on Shrill. I don't actually I'm not a big fan of that show actually, but I think that she like she's the reason I watch that show. She's so funny in that show. I like Shrill and I like her on it. And it's honestly the only thing I think 
that Julio Torres is his weakest out of everything that I've seen him on. But yeah, it, it, she's doing pretty much kind of the same thing. She's not as uh, she's not as caustic as mm. she is on Shrill, but she's kind of doing the same thing, just a more toned down version. Got it. All right. Uh, so I will. I'll just wrap all my stuff up into one thing. So on the Arrow streaming service they released the rick sloan collection volume one and so this is these are a whole bunch of movies directed by rick sloan if you haven't heard of him he's he's a b-movie director so i watched vice academy one two and three and hobgoblins and the visitants this week so vice academy if you're not familiar, the first one came out in 1989. It's basically a police academy ripoff. There's, it's a little bit more lewd than police academy. I don't, I don't remember if the first police academy was rated R or, or not. I don't think so, but this is like an R-rated version of police academy where it's a little bit more sexualized. It's a little bit more uh exploitative so like it, it's basically taking the police academy formula and throwing an exploitation film into it it's kind of it, i mean it's bad it's 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 not a good movie but it is pretty entertaining so if you're looking for like a just dumb 80s comedy then i would say vice academy it definitely fits that bill parts two and three are pretty much more the same part two has the same cast in it. So you have Linnea Quigley in the lead role here. Um, and she, she's in parts one and two and she's great. Everybody else is pretty, pretty rough around the edges on, on this. Um, and then vice Academy part three features the sister of Linnea Quigley. And it's starts to go downhill in part three, which came out in 1991. That yeah, one, that one was not very enjoyable at all. Uh, I think that there's like a whole, I can't, I think there's six. Yeah, Cause I'm, I'm looking at the, the, you know, the, the posters for vice Academy four, five and six. And it seems like they, they got away from the, and just because they kind of look like, like softcore, soft yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. The, the covers definitely look like softcore porn. Uh, I would say that uh, part three. I mean, there's not. I mean, they're not like egregious in their the the, the sex stuff. Because uh, yeah, no, like, you know, even just looking at the covers of like one and two, you're like, oh, okay, this looks like Police Academy ripoff, or mm-hmm. you know. Just the the buddy cop comedies, yeah. But with women, it it's so bad. Like, it makes no sense. There's this. They're they're in a vice academy, but it's all women, and there's one dude named Dwayne, and yes, and uh, they they have to like hit qu- arrest quotas and stuff, which in it like so. The whole basis of the movie doesn't make any sense. Like, why would they be arresting people if they're in the academy? It doesn't, they're not cops. So they're like going undercover and like busting up these like porn rings and stuff. And it's just, it's, uh, it's really, it's really silly. 
but yeah, the um, the later ones definitely look like they focus more on the uh, the sex stuff, which I can't I can't verify until part two of the uh, set comes out. Yeah, but I'm guessing from what I'm seeing that yes. Yeah, it's, they're probably, and then they're in the '90s too, so it's got it's probably gonna look and feel just different. Vice Academy Three had this like ridiculously long stripping scene in it, and it was like ten. It felt like it was ten minutes long, and they they weren't like stripping nude or anything. They were just like dancing like sensually, and it was just oh man, it was so cringy. Um. Hobgoblins is a ripoff of Gremlins, but but the funny thing is, they like these Gremlin or Hobgoblins. Sorry, they allow you to live out your fantasies. So if you fantasize about something, they like turn it into a reality and then kill you while you're in your in your fantasy. So that's kind of the hook of this one. So basically, they did the same. He did the same thing with police academy so he took gremlins and he made it way more sexual and turned it into like this goofy 80s uh sex comedy and there was just these little hobgoblins interesting yeah it's really bad uh the the puppets are atrocious there's like no articulation to them at all they just look like static stuffed animals basically so it's Incredible. it's it's pretty bad and it's not very entertaining either unfortunately. Uh the Visitants is a little bit more entertaining. This is sort of like a Night of the Comet or something where it takes place in the 50s and these like aliens come to earth and a, a high school kid ends up stealing their ray gun, which by the way, their ray gun is literally I don't know if you remember these like old toy guns that would they had like metal um triggers and you would pull them and it would like create sparks inside the gun yes i think i know what you're talking about they would like spin it would be like a thing that spins and creates sparks yeah and it was literally one of those things (laughs) like they, they weren't even trying to hide it they didn't like repaint it or anything it was literally one of those toy guns you pull the trigger and it revs up and creates sparks inside the gun. Wow. Yeah. So this one was super low budget, incredibly low budget. It made absolutely no sense at all. Completely illogical from beginning to end. And uh, this one was kind of fun. So the thing, the thing about Rick Sloan is like all his movies are absolute shit, but I had a pretty good time with it. They were, they were, they're definitely like so bad. It's good type of movies. Fuck you, Rick Sloan. <laughs> Your goddamn knockoff movies. I think he's still. I think he's still like cranking out movies too. I would also like to point out because you were like these are all on Arrow. I would also like to point out that they're also all on Tubi. So Tubi had them first. I bet oh, you. Wow. Tubi. First and foremost, they did it. He did. I think he most recently did Hobgoblins too, which came out in two thousand nine. Wow. So incredible. Yeah. You know, the the funny thing is like you, you have all of these like B movie directors and when they make like modern movies, they, they just, it's never the same. Like, like they're, they're 
awful, just like the ones in the 80s, but there's like something missing and, and I don't really know what it is. It's the time. It's the time frame. I, I, you yeah. don't have the nostalgia factor, but I do like that Hobgoblin's two synopsis just says the sequel to Rick's to the Rick Sloan classic from 1980s, Hobgoblins. <laughs> yep, that's it. That is it. Also uh, on two B, by the way. Hobgoblins two. Yep. Nice. I. It seems like maybe every Rick Sloan mo- no Blood Theater is not on. Oh, Blood Theater! Blood Theater is on Arrow. I just didn't watch it. I, See, I, 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 I turned it on, but I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I wasn't paying attention enough to it to, to like log it. That's the one. That's the one that they got that Tubi couldn't. Do they have the the Vice Academy four, five, and six? Ooh, let me find out. Because Tubi they- has number four. Oh man, they got number five. God, do they have all six? Incredible. If they have it, they do. They have all six. Nice. They have sweet. So I'll follow up. Big... I'll follow up next week and let you know how four, five, and six ended up. Because <laughs> I am a hundred percent going to watch those. Tubi does not have Bikini Academy though. Surfer Girls Gone Wild. Yeah, nineteen ninety six. So. Oh, but it's also known as Babe Watch. So. Oh, maybe so maybe he... you got to put it on search for Babe Watch. He's he's knocking off two two types there. <laughs> Jesus. An army. It says uh, the Bikini Academy, also known as Babe Watch, a army unit of big tit lifesavers, including oh <laughs> uh, patrol the shores to maintain visitors secure. That's just. I mean, it, what, why is it? Who wrote this? I don't know. Patrol the shores to maintain visitors secure. Yeah. Incredible. And the uh, cover looks like it's been... Like, the, the woman who's predominantly featured looks like her face was photoshopped onto a different person's body. Yeah, this looks like a, a fan-made type deal. Surfer girls gone wild. They're out of their fucking minds. Hmm. Average score two point eight on Letterboxd, so which you would think would go against them securing, you know what I mean? If they've gone wild, I don't think that they would be able to patrol the shores and maintain visitors secure <laughs> when you lose your mind like that. You know what I mean? Can you maintain the secure? I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's take a look at what we have in theaters this week. Just one to mention, and that's oh. uh reminiscence. Okay. That's the Hugh Jackman sci-fi one, I guess. Oh, Hugh Jackman doing some sci-fi. Yeah, that's going to also be on HBO Max. So you can uh, you can check it out on nope. there. It's one of those deals. Nope. Going, going to the theaters. Yeah. It's uh, Warner Brothers, so... I, I, I have no interest in this whatsoever. Like no, I, I love sci-fi is... movies, but this is just... Like, the trailer does not make it look interesting... Or compelling whatsoever. No, no, thank you. On VOD this week, on the, uh, let's see, uh, looks like we're going straight to the 20th, which is, that, that's Friday, right? Yep. Yeah. On Friday the 20th, we have Memories of a Murderer, the Nielsen tapes. That's going to be on Netflix. It's a true, true crime doc. 
about a serial killer from the UK, I believe. Uh, I already mentioned Reminiscence on HBO Max. The Loud House movie that's going to be on Netflix. I guess that's a Nickelodeon show, animated show. Never heard of it. Me either. We got Sweet Girl that's going to be on Netflix. That's a thriller with Jason Momoa. Action thriller. Got Annette coming out on Amazon Prime. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I imagine I, I imagine this is what we'll be talking about next week. More than likely. I just I can't talk about Annette and not think about the ridiculously long standing ovation at Cannes where Adam yeah. Driver got fed up and just lit up a cigarette in the audience. I would too. It's so funny, dude. Uh we also have Paul Patrol the movie that's gonna be on Paramount Plus. That'll oh, be in theaters God. too, but you know. Uh, got CryptoZoo coming out. Interesting. Yeah, this one This one I'm sort of interested in. I like the idea where it's a zoo with like fantasy creatures. And it's got a really good voice cast. And it's by the guy who did the uh, that movie My Entire High School Sinking Into the Sea or whatever that was called. Yeah, which I did not make it through that. I just for whatever reason, I couldn't do it. I I didn't see it, and I think the problem that I'm going to have with this is the animation. I just I'm not into the animation. Yeah, the, me, the kind just, of watercolor it's, style. It's too busy for me. Yeah, I just I don't know, man. We also have the Outsider. That's going to be a virtual theatrical release. We have Habit. This is a uh, one with Bella Thorne, so I'll probably be avoiding that. Uh, that's about it. On Blu-ray this week, we have Labyrinth coming out in 4K. We have Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat from 1989. That's going to be a uh, Vestron collection movie. Uh, Riders of Justice is coming out. I would recommend that if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard is coming out. The uh, yeah, the borrower from 1991, Rad from 1986. Hell yeah, Bingo from 1991. Oh man, I loved this movie for some reason as a kid. Bingo, yeah, Bingo, I loved it. It's about the dog, the dog who goes missing, and the adventure that the dog has getting back to his owner. Runaway circus dog, incredible. The Waterman, we have Stay Out of the Attic. That's on Shudder. You can check that out on there. I, I would like to, I just wanted to point out that you don't have Bingo logged on Letterboxd. Really? If you, yeah, if you need to update huh. that, uh, add that to your top four on your profile page. Well, I definitely need to add it. I can't believe I haven't added Bingo to my list. Hey, I have I'm like everything. Not, not sure why you don't, but okay. Well, it's added now, so get a, I gotta revisit that. Actually, that that's a perfect one for Saved by the '90s because I have like anecdotes. Yeah. I got anecdotes for that movie. Like it's, it, I could definitely do that. Uh, that's pretty much it for uh, regular stuff. What do we have on Criterion this week? Well, the interesting thing with Criterion, checking their website, always go off their website, right? And they have the, they have nothing labeled. Oh, no, never mind. They flipped it. That's why. Sons of bitches. <laughs> uh, so the only criterion is the original cast album company from D.A. Pennebaker, the documentary for uh, 
theater aficionados. Mm, okay. All about yeah. So yeah, that's something. Right. But the the other thing is is they did finally announce that they're doing 4K Ultra HD releases. <laughs> uh, they're always late to so, the party on that. So it's happening. They announced six titles. That's you know it's first. funny. We were just talking about that. We were like just a couple weeks ago. We were like, mm-hmm. why hasn't Criterion started putting out 4K stuff yet? So they did. They're going to do. These are the first six: Citizen Kane, Menace to Society, The Piano, Mulholland Drive, The Red Shoes, and A Hard Day's Night. Mm. Those are going to be the first six. Menace Yeah, man, I like that. I have not seen that movie in years, so I know. I think that uh, now's going to be the time to Gotta revisit that. Cool. That All and right. bingo. Had that and bingo. All right, uh, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That would be much appreciated. For Kevin Reichstrahl, my name is Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Bye.